Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to, to seek your face and to see what you'd have us to, to learn from this psalm and guide and lead us in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name. Give glory for your mercy and for your truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now your, their God? But our God is in, is in the heaven. He has done what, whatever he has pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's high hands. They have mouths and they speak not. Eyes they have, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are likened to them. So is everyone that trusts in them. O Israel, o Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has... My, has been mindful of us. He is. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are God's. But the earth hath he given to the children of man. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. So this is a short psalm, and it's kind of an interesting one because it, it really talks about the honor that belongs to God. It starts out with, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us. And we've talked about this. Whenever you see something repeated like that, he's bringing emphasis. And when you get a threefold <laughs> emphasis... You've got something really to pay attention to. But he's saying, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but unto your name be give glory for your mercy and your truth's sake. Glory. This is something that's very interesting in, in Hebrew. Glory in Hebrew literally means to make heavy with a reputation. All right? So God, in this verse, don't bring glory to us. And he repeats it, don't do it, don't do it. Bring it to your name. How often do we as human beings want to push ourselves up to be glory, to receive the, 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 the reputation, to, to have a name made for ourselves? And we see it all over the place. Even in Christian circles, we see many pastors who are lifting up their name, you know, making themselves look good over a period of time. And some of it happens just because God invests into their ministry and they start and they can get caught up in this kind of glory that, you know, people praise them and say what a good, you know, what a good message was. I've learned so much. And you, you can get caught up in all that if you're not very careful. And teachers do this frequently. You know, they, they get people and they watch them grow. And all of a sudden they start saying, start beginning just a little bit. Look what I'm accomplishing. Look what I'm Look what I am, and they can get caught up in that until God knocks them down a few pegs and says, no, it's me. I get all the glory. And God is always looking to be the one that gets, is made heavy in his reputation. Uh, in this uh, word for glory, it said that God's glory came upon the, ta the tabernacle when it was built, and it covered the tabernacle in a shining, heavy uh, uh, fog or, or you know it's hard to describe it, it's it's called the kabod of God the glory of God and it was just so heavy that nobody else could go into it and if you remember even Moses couldn't even though he'd been in God's presence as often as he had when the glory of the Lord came completely on the on the tabernacle not even he could go into it because God was so strong in there and there's times when you, when you feel the presence of God so intensely that it's almost overwhelming. And I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I've had once or twice in my life where it's just so intense that you don't know what to do with it. And he's saying, this is my glory. And he says, and it's for his mercy and his truth's sake. His name always has to be glorified because 
it is his. It's his mercy, his truth. And if we try to make it ours, everything will go wrong. And we've talked about this all through Psalms. We've been looking at God as our defense. He's our defender. And he wants us just to sit back and let him be our defender. And it's much better when we just let him defend and be our defense. Because I can tell you, every time I've tried to defend myself over my lifetime, I say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing. And it's much easier just to let it take its course and let God be the defender. God will raise up defenders. It's fun watching God raise up defenders. I've seen it happen for people when they're just quiet and others will take up their defense for them. And it's much easier when somebody defends themselves, everybody everybody looks at them and says, they're hiding something. (laughs) They're hiding something. When others defend them, it's like, oh, well, maybe not. You know, that, that has more emphasis when others are your defender saying, well, this is that person's character. Or so they say, well, you know what so-and-so did? And they start telling you, go, that doesn't sound like them. I don't, need, don't even need to hear about that because that is not who they are. And people will come up and defend, and it means a lot when that happens. And God is saying, he gets the glory, nobody else. Verse 2 says, wherefore shall the heathen say, where is now their God? This is something that is wonderful. When we live as a shining light before people, people aren't asking, where is our God? But have you ever seen a Christian who falls and listens to what the world says about them? We see it on, on TV or radio when a big evangelist uh, you know, has trouble and falls from grace. You know, well, where is his God? You know, what, what, you know, why, why, why did he do all this? You know, and we see this whole thing, and this is why our testimony is so important for us, to be able to stand. We, when we fail, and we will, we repent, we ask God for forgiveness, and he will defend us and protect us. But it is him, and people will be going, where is their God? Especially if they don't see repentance and, and, and humility. If you're proud and arrogant and you fall, People will look at, well, what kind of Christian were they? See, that we, we knew that they weren't what they said they were going to be. And this is something that we need to be very careful of. And, and then uh, this goes into, but our God is in the heaven. He has done whatever he has pleased. God is not living on this earth. He is in heaven. He's above everything. And he does, and this goes to the sovereignty of God, he does whatever he wants to do. Now, having said that, we want to be very careful because God always acts within his character of who he he is and his attributes. God is good. Therefore, everything he does is good. God is truth. Everything he does is centered around his truth. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. He is also just and holy, so everything he does is within all those attributes of God and is consistent with who he is. This is why salvation's plan had to be written the way it was. He couldn't just go, I forgive you of your sins without the sins being paid for, because that would be outside of his character. His character of righteousness and, and, and justice and absolute uh, righteousness had to be fulfilled and satisfied. He couldn't just go, you know, because I love you so much, I'm going to just erase all these sins because that would be outside of his character. By the same token, his righteousness and everything would demand that we be punished with no hope of being redeemed. And so his love steps in and says, how can we be able to bring together all my attributes and still redeem the people? And that resulted in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and giving us that way of escape. So we see this, that God will always do whatsoever he, whatever pleases him, but it will always be consistent with who he is. Which is why we need to fully understand who God is. Too many people in our world will say, well, my God would never send anybody to hell. Well, you're making up your own God. You're, you're creating your own, your own idol. And this is something we've got to keep in mind. When people tell us what their God would do, and it's against what the Bible tells us about God, they are creating an idol. 
and we need to be able to tell them that. And we've talked about this whole idea before of designer religion is being called. You know, I like this part of Christianity, I like this part of Buddhism, I like this part of the Zen philosophy, I like this part of being a Muhammad, you know, Muslim, and so you become a Christian Buddhist uh, uh, Muslim Zen. Uh, and you're not, you're not fully anything, you're just the, what you think are the best parts. And what have you done? You have raised yourself to God. You are determining what's right and wrong and saying, I am the standard. What I believe is the standard so that you're being, you're talking about the ultimate idol. You're making yourself God. You're not even picking other idols. You're making yourself God and an idol. So we see that God will always stay consistent within who he says he is, or who we know him to be. So we want to keep that in mind because this is what he does. He will stay. And this is why the Bible is so important, because it tells us about who God is. And we read about his righteousness. We read about his holiness. We read about his mercy and his love and his truth. And we see when you start understanding the full picture of God, then you understand a little more about why he did some of the things that he's done in the scriptures. Why did he judge Sodom and Gomorrah so severely was because of how sinful they, they had gotten and the fact that they would not repent. And they were creating their own idols to the point of their sin was just a stench. Why did he uh, destroy the, all the nations in the promised land? Because for 400 years, they were flaunting their sin in God's face and would not repent. And God told the children of Israel, just destroy them all. They, they, they're so evil that they don't, I don't want them to be, be around anymore to pollute my land. And yet, he has mercy for us when we turn and repent. And no matter what we do, when we've turned to him and repent, except Jesus Christ, he says, welcome, you're my children. And at that point, because we accepted that gift, he's no Indian giver, so he doesn't take it away from us if we mess up. And this is something we've got to really start understanding. And this is why yesterday with the, at the memorial, I said there's no good people in heaven. Because there aren't. There's only perfect people in heaven. And they, the only way to be perfect is to put on the righteousness of Christ. And this is a shocking thought for a lot of people. Because most people want to say, if you're good enough, you'll go to heaven. Well, you can't. You don't, you know, and I've said it, I like to say that God has an absolute dress code. You have to have Jesus Christ on to be able to enter heaven. Your righteousness as filthy rags will not get you to heaven. It will get you sent straight to hell. And that's when it's really bad. You know, you're, if you're trying to get to heaven by being good, you're denying your flesh to the desire to even have any enjoyment on this world, and you're still going to end up with hell with all the people who enjoyed their sin. You know, so got to come to Christ because he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to him except through Jesus. Then in this little one, this little vendetta and vignette, not vendetta, uh, between four and seven. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. So he says they, they, they create their own idols. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet they ha have they, but they walk not. Neither speak, though they have uh, through their throats. This is kind of an interesting statement. He's, he's describing them. He goes, you make them look like people and animals. Because you look at idols, uh, they all end up looking like humans or animals or hybrids between the two. And, you know, exa exaggerated features and everything. He goes, but, you know, they're saying, they have eyes, but they're not seeing anything. Our God sees everything. They have ears, but they don't hear. God hear our God hears everything. You know, they have... Uh, noses, but they don't smell. I and mean, we're told over and over, he smells the sweet aroma of our sacrifices. They have uh, feet, uh, hands, but they don't handle anything. They have feet, but they don't, they don't walk, they, and they don't speak. Idols don't do anything. They just stand there. You know, I never thought of it that way, and that's so true. I mean, because you think they have these, like, Buddhas or anything. What does that thing do? Nothing. Nothing. 
and they worship it, and I think you love it. Our God has everything, everything. Yeah. And you have these things like the eyes and ears. I never thought of it that way, but. Yeah. Just the way he's playing with it. Yeah, no, but that is good, you know. I mean, in, uh, can't remember if it was Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel, but one of them talks about you go out to the woods, you, you cut down a tree, with half of it you, you make your fire and cook your food, and the other half you make an idol and you bow down and worship it. Yeah. You know, God has made fun of idol worshiping frequently. When the, when the uh, Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines, they put it into the temple of Dagon. I remember that was so funny. And they got up in the morning, and Dagon, the statue of Dagon was flat on its face in front of the, I love that one. That of, was so good. of the ark. And they set it up and pinned it up and everything. And the next morning, they, they came, and it was flat on its face, and it was broken in pieces. Uh, so they couldn't pin it back up. You know, this is, the Bible is full of these very humorous, comical pictures of idols. But... Even though it's doing that, it's still a very serious yeah. thing, okay? Because it is so easy for us to follow idols. It is so easy for even Christians to not fully understand the God we worship and turn him into an idol in some ways because, well, I could just sin the way I want because he's going to forgive me. Well, I'm sorry, that's not our God. He probably will forgive you, but there's going to be consequences the for those sins, and, you know, yes, he'll probably forgive you. If you are his child, he'll forgive you. But there's going to be heavy consequences for you to pay. And if you can sin like that, you're probably not one of his children. Mm-hmm. And you have to take a real serious look at, do you really know him? And so we need to be so careful because it's easy to start following the wrong God. And as we grow in Christ, there's going to be those times when we are following kind of an idol part of God. You know, we, we've created our own and we don't fully understand him and we... We think we are following him, and we do some really strange things sometimes. You know, well, you know, and it could work either way. I can do what I want because God's going to forgive me, or I've got to do all these rules and everything because if I don't, he's going to smash me. And we want to walk a fine line between those two points. Yes, there's consequences when I disobey, but it's, the consequences are not just because I, he wants to hurt me. How many people... You know, I, I, love, I, I talk about it kind of being whack-a-mole. There's so many people who are afraid to stick their head up because they're afraid that God's going to hit them. You know, if I do anything wrong, God's going to smash me. You know, that's why I think of the whack-a-mole, you know, where you're supposed to whack the moles when they come up you know, with the hammer. You know, but you know, that's how a lot of people think about God. If I dare to pop my head up out of my, out of my little hole, God's going to beat me. And it's bad enough when the lost world does that, but when Christians get to that place... Just got to hide, got to huddle here and stay out of the way so God doesn't see me. And God's always seeing you, so it's not doing you a bit of good. You might as well go out and do something and let him help you learn how to do it right. But you know, we see this little funny little picture, God saying, you know, they have all this stuff, but there's no life in them. And that's literally what he's saying. There's no life in the idol. And in verse 8, they that make them are likened to them, so is everyone that trusts in them. This is a two-headed thing. He goes, those who are, put, are worshiping them have no life. But worse yet, you become like what you worship. And this is something that you see. The people that would worship at the, at the feet of the fertility gods and goddesses became very sexually minded and, and everything was driven by sex. Those who went to Dagon, the god of power and, and industry, they became very industrious and hardworking people because that's what you worshipped. You were worshipping that aspect. You become like what you worship. That's true for us as Christians. As we worship God, we become more like him because he's indwelling us. But it fills the very center of our heart. It fills the treasure of who we are by what do we think. What do we act like based upon what are we filling our minds with? I fill my mind with God's word. I fill my mind with his love and his peace. And he comes into me and I start acting more like him over time. Will I ever be perfect? No, we won't ever be perfect, but I can become more loving. I become more forgiving. I become more sensitive to the sin around me. And this is something that is very hard sometimes for us as Christians as we watch this world 
get darker and darker. It gets very hard sometimes to just even get along in this world because we get so grieved at all the sin that's going on and the people that are just buying into the sin without even a second thought. And you know the saddest thing to me is how it's affecting children now. Children used to have a long innocency period where they could be pretty much innocent. Our children are being bombarded with sin and, and sexual images and, and murders and thefts all around them. And they're losing their innocency at a younger and younger age. No, it's hard to be a child because you're exposed to everything. You know, even if you do nothing but want, even if you did nothing but watch TV, and so many of them do, they're being bombarded with all these images that are that are ungodly and unrighteous. Then, yeah, and then you add the video games that they watch. Some of these video games are terrible because of what they portray and, and what they encourage them to participate in. Yeah. And they're pushed very heavily into the world of sin at younger and younger ages. And it's very sad, but it just shows the evilness of our age. And it's not, it's not something that hasn't happened. It's happened in the past too, where they've been pushed into the same, same areas. It's just re-intensifying itself in our age. And we want to be able to start praying for our children, praying for those around us, because it is critical for us to bring them into the innocency of God and being able to teach them this is what God is like. He loves people. He loves us. He cares for us. Jesus died for our sins. And be able to lift them up and be able to say, don't worship these other idols yeah. and it's sad I watch our kids in our Sunday school with how far they don't understand God and how much they understand things they shouldn't understand at their ages yeah. we're talking kids less than 10 years old for the most part that can tell you things that they should have no business knowing anything at all about that's how much their innocence has been lost and God is saying I want to reach them he needs to reach these children to buy them back. He needs us to be lights unto people. Verse 9 says, O Israel, trust in the Lord, for he is their help and their shield. Israel, his people, trust. Put your whole being upon God. You know, this is something that is very important for us to understand. What is trust? It is the absolute confidence. Put your confidence in the Lord. In this case, Lord is Yahweh, the God of the gods of uh, the, the God of God, everything, you know, who the, the I am. I am that I am. Put your confidence and trust in Him. Something for each one of us to think about is do we truly put all of our confidence on God? Probably not. I know that I don't usually. And it's so easy to put our confidence in what we do or who I am or what I see because we are fleshly beings it's very easy to say this is what I see and most of our decisions are based in what we see I see this I see that and I make my decision based on what I see and I've done it many times in my life uh, you know, how does the world tell you to make a, make a decision? Make a pro-con list. And if there's more pros than cons, you make the decision. If there's more cons than pros, you don't make the decision. And God says, well, uh, I have a different way. I want you to listen to me. <laughs> because we don't always know all the facts and all the things where things are going to go. And so we make our pro-con list, and God says, oh, you missed a whole bunch of pros that I have over here for you. You don't even see them because you don't understand them. And I've you know, said before, when I moved to Kingman, uh, if I had done a pro-con list, I would not have come to Kingman. But having come to Kingman, it was one of the greatest things that God has done for us. You know, so much is blessing has come by doing it. And I think of what would have happened if I had gone to the different places that my pro list would have taken me. And realize that, you know, as I look at one particular place in particular, it's like, Wow, there was a lot, there's a lot of bad things that would have happened. And see that there's things that are bad. The key to everything is to walk by faith. The just shall walk 
by faith. And walking by faith is such a hard thing to do because you have to step out and say, God, this is what I'm thinking you're leading me to do. If it's wrong, stop me. <laughs> and listen to his voice and be able to say, okay, God, how many times, and we've got all kinds of stories out there. They, they like to use motivational stories about people who stop within. There, there's a story about a guy who owned a gold mine and he stopped with a, one foot away from the biggest strike of gold in the, in the world. He sold it to a company who dug that extra foot and ended up making millions of dollars. Uh, we take a look at Edison, you know, who, who can't remember how many times, but it's you know, 300 different ways he tried to make the filament bulb and, and they're going, you know, well, how do you feel like, you know, after having made, you know, made so many failures? He goes, I'm not a failure. I, learned, uh, I had 399 ways not to do it. You know? The key to this, though, is we walk by what God wants us to do. So often we stop before God tells us to stop. Then we read these different biographies where, they, where the people push that next little step, that next little step that takes them into spiritual success because they didn't stop. Now, the, the question is, are we supposed to stop or not stop? And that's hard to, that is hard to figure out because we don't want to spin our wheels if God is telling us to do something else as well. But the key to this is, do not stop just because it doesn't look like anything's happening. Or they do not start it because you're not too sure yeah. on certain things. And, so and we do that too. We do that a lot. And this is why we have to just say, God, I need your direction. And a good prayer when you're getting ready, to, you, you really feel God saying, God, I'm, I really feel this is what you're saying. If this is not what you want me to do, I'm asking you not, right now to shut the door so it doesn't happen. I really, want, I really don't think I'm supposed to do this. If I'm really supposed to do it, you, know, you may need to make it really clear. I was listening to one of the kids' stories this, uh, from the Saturday radio time, because I love the kids' stories on the radio. I love the kids' stories. Uh, and this... And, the guy was trying to decide whether to, to run for office, and, and he's going, God, show me a sign. And it's so interesting because all these people are telling him he should run. His family's telling him he should run, you know, all these things. And he's outside the courthouse, and he goes, God, I, just, I know everybody thinks I should run, but I need a sign. And it was kind of interesting because this person came up and gave him a, a, a sign for the, for the opponent that he was going to run against. And he goes, God, you're really funny. You actually gave me a sign. So, but you know, we need to be careful because sometimes we get to the place where we want to be so absolutely sure that we're doing the right thing that God almost has to get as ridiculous as that story and literally put the sign in your hand saying, I, I gave you a sign. That's how I and, like, give me a sign. So I but we want to be careful because that is also not walking by faith if we have to be so absolutely sure well, that, uh, yeah, and it's 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 an interesting interesting place to be, because it is, and I've shared this story. I was teaching a youth class one time long long ago. I was a special speaker one night at the youth youth meeting, and I'm giving the Bible lesson out. And there's one kid in the back. His his chair is kicked back. It looks like he's asleep. And if I'm going to pick anybody who has not listened at all to what I'm saying, that's the kid I'm picking. You know, he, he, he's, been, he's been sleeping the whole time. Well, I just happen to meet with his dad every, every week. So his dad, then the next time I met with him, he goes, man, my son just couldn't stop talking about what you, what you had shared on, on, at that meeting. I'm going, man, I'll tell you, if I would have, you know, your son was the one I would have picked. I thought he was asleep back there in the corner. You know? So we've got to be very careful not to judge by what we think we see uh, because we can be deceived. Young people all the time, you know, in their infatuation decide to go out on dates and even to, to look at getting married to somebody who's not saved and they'll go, well, I'm sure God's telling me to. Well, no, your lust and your infatuation is, but God isn't. But, you know, they get themselves totally convinced by what they think they see and act upon it. So this thinking, you know, this whole thing about what we think we can see can be either way, to do something or not do something based on what we are perceiving with our eyes. And this is why it's so important to listen to God. Get into his word. Say, God, show me from your word what you'd have me do. And we look at Gideon. Gideon was told by the angel to go into battle. And uh, 
he started deciding, okay, God, I, I just don't know. You know. And he puts out the fleece and says, God, let the ground be wet and my fleece be dry. <laughs> and so the ground's wet and the fleece is dry. And he goes, okay, God, maybe this was some kind of strange coincidence. Let's turn this around. You make my fleece wet <laughs> and the ground dry. And he did that. You know, look how patient with God was. He sent an angel to him, <laughs> two miracles, and then he goes, okay, God, one more time. <laughs> you know, and God gave him a third time. You know, and after that, it was like, okay, now you're doing it. <laughs> don't, don't ask anymore. There's a point where lack of faith becomes a problem. Lack of action becomes a problem. And God is very patient with us when he's trying to show us how to walk. But there comes that point in time when he says, I have told you, now act. And we want to be careful that we don't cross that line in our desire. And believe me, I, I know what it's like. God, I just, I don't know about this. Nothing, nothing looks good about what you're asking me to do. I don't understand it, God. God, everything looks wonderful about what I think I should be doing. But there's that twinge in the back of your mind that says, don't do it. That, you know, don't do it. Those are probably the harder ones. When I, everything I look says, looks so good and there's this little, little warning in the back of our brain saying, uh, don't. <laughs> and those are usually the times we don't pray because everything looks good and we see, we see it as a very good move and, and action and, and we're not really paying attention. This is something that's so important. God, I want to come before you and talk to you. Spend lots of time in prayer on any decision. How many little decisions do we make in our day that we don't put into prayer at all? Little things that we don't put into prayer in any way, shape, or form. We just act upon them because it looks good or it feels good. And God said, and later on we go, man, I, I really messed up that decision. Uh, uh, some people will walk on a car lot just to look at cars and then wonder how they walked off with a brand new car and a, and a payment for the next, <laughs> next five years. Uh, we did that a long time ago, and I never knocked on a car lot since unless I wanted to buy a car. Uh, but it's real easy to get talked into something. You're, you're, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you can get talked into something and end up doing some very bad decisions. And sometimes we talk ourselves into doing them. And so we want to be able to look at it. Then he goes in verse 10, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Their help, always there to help them in their shield. And then I love this one. You that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Israel, God's people. Aaron, his priest. And then any, if, if we haven't hit anybody important, anybody else who trusts in the Lord, <laughs> same statement. He is your help and your shield. God is our shield. He will protect us. And we think about this. The shield isn't as big a deal to us as, as it used to be, but you know, armor is still important out there in, in, our, in our battles and everything. Our military wear, wear battle armor. Our police are starting to wear you know, body armor because it's so violent out there. Armor, armor and shields are still very important to us because they protect. And God is the ultimate shield. Nothing is going to get past him. And he says, I'm your protection. I am your protection. We need to trust in him so much more than we do, all of us. It doesn't matter how much you're trusting in him, you need to trust in him more because he wants all of us. He wants us coming before him in, in prayer, in everything with prayer and supplication, come before God. Pray without ceasing, the Bible tells us. You know, and we come to it. You know, how about something as simple of God, where, where, I'm going out to dinner, where should I go? Do we really consider God asking God what we should do if we're going to go out to dinner? Most of the time, no. And we were watching uh, the Lee Strobel story, and the, the one key Christian who deals with his wife, you know, she goes, well, we weren't even coming to this restaurant, and God just told us to stop here. Okay, and then she became intertwined with Lee Strobel's wife, in the, at least in the movie version of the, of the story. But, you know, and she just said, God told us to go here. How intimately does God want to be involved with us? Talk to this person. 
do this, go here, be at this place. Have you ever been someplace and watched God move in that place and you go, wow, this isn't where I was planning to be and yet this is where God had me to speak to the right person or do the right thing and be at the right place to talk to the person at the right time. You know, happens a lot with Sharon and her customers and everything. You know, she's at the right place and then so many of her customers end up coming to church once in a while. You know, it's... Uh, you So we see all of this stuff, and God is our shield and our help. God wants to be our helper. He wants to give us direction, not just protection. It's one thing to protect, be protector. It's another to be the one who provides help. And we know, you can kind of know the difference. You know, we, you know, he can protect us from all kinds of things, but if we listen to him, he probably has to do less protection if we actually listen to him because we'll be where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing and not needing as much protection. Or maybe we need more protection in those situations because Satan's not going to like what, where God is bringing us. So, but he says all of these things, you know, that says he is your help and your shield. Verse 12, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear him, both small and great. I love this statement. He is mindful of them. He recalls. He recalls. He keeps it in, in, in this. Yeah. Can you think about this? And Sharon said this a couple of times. It's just amazing that God cares for us at all. As insignificant as we are, maybe in our own neighborhood, but definitely within our own country, the people in this room, you know, we're, we're not very significant to our state or our country. We're not really significant at all to the world. And we're definitely not significant to the universe, and yet God is mindful of each one of us. Even those who are, think they're great in the scope of the universe, <laughs> they're insignificant. And God is still mindful of us. I think that's the most amazing thing. The God of the universe, the God of the universes of universes, if there's more than one universe, as, as physics is telling us, is mindful of us. That's just so hard to even that's comprehend. It's whole universe, I say. Billions, trillions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trillions of people that God is in charge of and monitoring. And that's just our world. And that's not if that's not, not anything else that might possibly be out there in any other universe <laughs> out there. And he is mindful of each of us. And mindful to the point where he has a plan for our life and already knows what we're going to do. That's just an amazing thought to me. And it says he's mindful of you. He will bless us. Blessing. Have you ever thought about what it means to bless? You know, to celebrate, to adore, to invoke, to cause to prosper. God is looking to bless us. He lifts us up. He says that his people will stand before kings and leaders. And it's amazing because I've, I've listened to different stories of missionaries who have gone to different places and they've been lifted up and they start dealing with the leaders of of towns and cities and states, or what we would call states, and even countries, where God lifts them up with great honor because of their faithfulness to him. And you know, we need to be able to look at it. God, he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of... <laughs> he goes through the same list again. He'll, he'll bless his people. He'll bless the priest. And by the way, anybody else who wasn't included in those two groups, if they fear the Lord, he's going to bless them. That's us. <laughs> We fit in that last group, those that fear the Lord. Any Gentile who fears the Lord gets the same blessing as the house of Israel and the prophet and the priests. An amazing thing. God desires to bless. That's hard to even think of too. God wants to bless us. He wants to do great things for us. He wants to give us the desires of our heart. And he will give us, he promises us our needs as Christians, as followers. He promises us our needs. But you know, he wants to give us good things. 
And just as we said a couple days ago, if, if the only time we're going to come to God is when we need something, he's going to keep us in need so that we come to him. If we can honor him no matter what, what kind of blessings would he pour out on us when he knows that we're still going to come to him and, and minister and, and, and look to him? Oh, man, you think about this. Some of the great millionaires in our country were Christians giving away most of their money. Why? Because they decided they were going to honor God no matter what. They came before God, and they gave him great honor and, and followed him. Different people who have raised up in ministry because they honor God. Not that they were perfect people, but they came before God and said, God, what more can I do? George Mueller, I love the story of George Mueller because he learned to be asking God for great things. This man, in a day when 10,000 pounds was a fortune, spent that much in a month on his ministries. And he wasn't a rich man. It was God giving him all the money. <laughs> and then when he, then when he wanted, then, go, then he'd think that God says wanted him to do more and he'd add more things to it. He was spending money left and right that he didn't have because God said do things and he was faithful enough to trust God to give it to him. Yeah. And how many times, I mean, I love the story where the kids are sitting down for breakfast and there's no food and he starts saying grace and he goes, God, thank you for the food that we're about to eat. There's no food in the entire orphanage until there's a knock on the door. And the guy says, God told me to make these extra loaves of bread and give them to you. And while they're getting ready to eat their bread, a, a, another knock on the door, and it's a dairyman says, my, my wagon's broken down out here. I need to unload it, and the milk's going to spoil, so how can you use, you know, I can't remember if it was five or ten <laughs> jugs of milk, you know, and sure, we can use it. <laughs> you know, what will God do for us if we just have the confidence to look to him and ask? To ask. We have not because we ask not. Now, if we're asking to use it on ourselves, God's going to probably say no. But if we're asking him to build his kingdom, and we're going to build his, you know, use it to build his kingdom, what can God do for us? What can our little church in this little town do if we were to really get confident to ask God for great things? And say, God... What do you want us to do? This is what I think you're going to do, and we, we just ask him to come and help and reach out. Now, Mueller had nothing in his, in his town. Matter of fact, he had a church that got mad at him when he didn't take up a, an offering the way they normally took up an offering. He did what we did. He stuck a box up on the wall. <laughs> and he says, if you want to give, put it in the box. <laughs> and and it, it changed everything. Verse 14, and the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children will increase you more and more. He wants to bless us, and he wants to bless us to so much abundance that we don't know what to do with it as long as we'll use it to, for his kingdom. Most people are not blessed more and more by God because they use it on themselves. God says, I want you to keep using it for me, and they end up using it on themselves. And it's not a problem to use some of God's blessing on ourselves, but if we use the majority of his blessing on ourselves, then there's going to be a drawback of his blessings. Yeah. How, much, how big a house does a, does, a, does a person need? You know, if you've got a bedroom or two or, or three, that's more than you probably need if you're by yourself. You know, well, I need a bigger house, God. You're, you're blessing me. I need, a, I need the mansion. <laughs> And God says, what do you need a mansion for? Yeah. God, I, I, need, I need a bigger vehicle. I just, and God's going, you've got a perfectly good vehicle. Now, if your vehicle's breaking down and you need a vehicle, then pray to God, give you a vehicle. But, you know, we need to learn to be content with what we have and then watch what God can do with the extra. So many times God is saying, what are you giving me? Now, a lot of people bulk of this. God says, that he, that he asks for the tithe in the scriptures. And people in the, you know, will go, well, God, in the New Testament, he never talks about tithing. Okay, and I will agree with him, he never talks about tithing. Paul says he loves a cheerful giver, somebody who wants to give to him. And Jesus took all the laws and he intensified the laws. He goes, if you think the thought, you've committed the activity. 
So my question is, how much more than the tithe are you wanting to give? If you're not, you're, you know, God says start at the tithe, how much more? But even if it's not going to be the tithe, are you giving it cheerfully or are you giving it because you must? I think that if somebody's really, truly seeking God and wanting the blessing, they're going to give more than the tithe. And because you can't outgive God, it's an amazing thing. You give God and you can never outgive him. And whether it's your time, your effort, your money, your, your possessions, you can't outgive him. He will keep pouring it back upon you. And it's an amazing thing as, I, as Lynn and I keep kick, kicking up the amount that we give, God keeps pouring back. <laughs> he keeps pouring back and it's a wonderful thing to just watch what God does. And we keep increasing our, our giving and he keeps never, all the bills to get, keep getting, getting paid. And it says, we are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. I love that. We are blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. All right? God is the ruler directly of the heavens. They're his. He kicked Satan out of heaven for trying to, to usurp his position. And he was taken as number one angel kicked out of heaven. And he says, but the earth has he given to the children of men. When God created Adam and Eve... They were literally created to rule this earth. They were created to be God little g of this world, to have dominion over everything. They gave that away, which is why Satan is called the God of this world, because Satan took title deed of this world from Adam and Eve when they sinned. And Jesus came and defeated Satan on the cross, and he has taken the title deed back. He hasn't taken possession of the world yet, but the title deed has been taken away from Satan. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, and after he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you remember that he took him up onto a high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of this world. And he says, all of this I'll give you if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus never questioned Satan's power to give him title of the world because Satan could do that. Now, if he had bowed down, Satan wouldn't have been, <laughs> wouldn't have been truthful because he's the father of lies. But Jesus' answer was, you, you worship the Lord your God and him only. What was Satan really offering Jesus at that point on, on there? I will give you possession of the world and you don't have to go to the cross. He knew that Jesus had come to die for the sins of the people. Now, he may not have known specifically that it was the cross, or, you know, but he knew that he had come to die as a sacrifice for sin. And basically, he says, I'll give you the world. You're going to take it from me by dying, and I'll, I'll give it to you. You don't have to die. What an offer. Many of us might say, okay, you, know, you have a choice. You can, go, you can go and be tortured, brutally tortured, or I'll give you an escape and give you the same end result. Most of us would take the escape out of it, wouldn't we? And Jesus goes, nope, we're not, we're not taking that escape. I'm not taking that escape. This is the choice that many Christians over the lifetime have been given. During the first century, they would be brought in and they go, all you have to do is give this small little sea flower offering on the, on the flame of Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord, and we'll let you go. Otherwise, you get to go to the Colosseum and be torn up by, by animals or, or cut into pieces by gladiators or torn to pieces by, you know, by being drawn, drawn and quartered and being torn, torn into pieces. You know, your choice. You know, many people did worship Caesar and then went back and repented and all of that you know, because they were so afraid of the death that was facing them. They were always looked down on by the other Christians because there was not a, a very big lack of trust. You know, you deny Jesus, that's what you're here for. That's why you're here. Others, by the thousands and millions, went and died. And that's what Fox's Book of Mar Martyrs celebrates, is all, those, all the many people that have given their life for Christ so that they could be getting a martyr's crown in heaven and have their names lifted up for God's kingdom. And we look at these people, and it's an the, the stories are amazing to read. You know, some of them are hard to read <laughs> because they're brutal. 
Rome was brutal on the, on the Christians. What was worse, though, was during the time that the Catholics would do purges over people. They were really hard on, on Christians that didn't follow the Catholic faith. And they, they made Rome look like they didn't know what they were doing in some of the tortures they did. And we see these people that were tortured for Christ, literally tortured as they were put to death. You know, we're coming on a time where we might be facing those kind of things. Right now in our world, millions of Christians are dying every year. Every year, millions are dying. While Americans go blindly along saying, well, there's no problems here. It's coming. It's coming to America as well that we will have to make some decisions here in the near future. Do I confess Christ and and possibly die? Or do I reject him and, and, and be the coward to save, my, to save my neck? Doesn't mean that God won't forgive us of it, but it's not going to be good for our testimony. He wants to bless us. He is giving us this world. Then in verse 17, the dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Basically, once you're dead, you're not praising God. It's over. The dead don't praise God. And I think it's also bringing in that the spiritual dead don't praise God. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting to watch people who don't understand God. Yeah. Have you ever been praising God and having a good time with God, singing some songs, and then somebody looked at you like you're an absolute crazy nut? You know, they, don't, they just don't understand the praising of God. Well, you're sharing with people what God has done for you, and they're looking at you like, okay, you know, why are you attributing everything to God? The world does not understand how God moves. They just don't. But then again, neither did we before we became a Christian. We didn't understand how God moved before we became a, a child of his and really started to understand as he filled us. I say it spiritually because verse 18, but we will bless the Lord. Okay, Those who are spiritual will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. When we are alive with God, we have eternal life. And it doesn't start at the moment we die. It starts at the moment we're saved, which I guess is death. We've died to our flesh. But from that point on, we are alive. When our physical body stops working, our spirit just says, okay, goodbye body, and walks right into God's presence. Freed of the body. But our eternal life starts the moment we are saved. We are made alive. And when we walk out of our body, there's not a difference. We will be praising him not because we haven't gone into death at that point. We're going into joy. We get the ultimate. We get to be face to face with God for eternity. And man, will our joy and our praise be even greater than it is. Right now, we praise him by faith. We worship him by faith. When we die, it'll be by sight. We get to see him. We get to see him face to face at that point. It is not faith anymore. We're going to go, man, look at this. And then he shows us our life and our rewards. And then we really get to see all that he's done. It's going to be an amazing thing when he shows us our life and he shows us the rewards we, we've gotten that we don't know anything about. Don't get the rewards we thought we did because of our, <laughs> our arrogance. We thought we did things because we, we do it. But you know, many of us are going to have rewards that we have no clue about. I love the song, Thank You, where he says, I dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me, and all these people are coming up to say thank you to this pastor for the little things that he does. The little things that you do, the little kindness you did to somebody, the time when you didn't have much money but you gave to some, a gift to somebody who was ministering, and that little bit of money went someplace else. The time you go, well, God, I don't have a whole lot, but I'm going to give to the Lottie Moon offering or the Annie Armstrong offering, and that money goes to missionaries to be able to minister to the world, and you have just a little bit, a little tiny bit where you helped all around the world for these missionaries. The person you said just the right word to at the right time, and you were just being kind, but they looked at it and they accepted that kindness 
and it changed something in their life. That little clumsy thing you said about the gospel and Jesus that didn't mean much to you because you butchered it so bad. But to them, it made them start thinking. Made them start thinking. We gave such a heavy, hard gospel presentation yesterday at the memorial. And it appears that nobody responded. But you know what? It's in their brains. (laughs) It's in their brains, and who knows what might happen as and time number, runs on. And number 17, I understand one part. They said, it's not the dead who praises the Lord. Those who go down to silence. Go into the grave, actually get buried. It's just poetic. It's a repeat of oh, the first okay. line. I was just trying to figure out what does that mean? I mean? It's a repeat of the second line. Oh, the okay. dead praise not the Lord, neither they that go down into silence. So when you're, the grave is as silent so as you can so get. It's the same. Okay. Yeah. When, when you're dead and you're buried... You're not saying anything anymore, and you're not hearing anything okay, anymore. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Remember, we're reading poet. All of these psalms are poetry, and, the, and the, the poetry oftentimes repeats itself. And we saw that you know, through yeah, the verse. Thought, yeah. Israel, Israel is, you know, God will help and shield. Uh, the, the priest, he'll help and shield. And all those that fear the Lord will help and shield. We see it all through the scriptures where he keeps repeating in lines. This is why it's such a long section where he says they have eyes but don't see, they have ears that don't hear. Well, that I understand yeah. well, but just that was a word. The way the Jews do poetry doesn't is not trying to rhyme their words, but they do a lot of, here's a point, I'm going to repeat it. Or it could be like we talked way back at the beginning, here's a point, here's the opposite. Uh, we see a lot of that when we get to Psalm 19, uh, 119, we'll see a lot of that uh, similar statements. And then he ends this, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord idea of just praising him be able to just praise God and mean it do we praise God in all that happens to us do we give thanks for all things and everything give thanks not just the good things there are so many people that just want to praise God for good things that happen to them God I'm really happy because this this and this happened God you could leave that other stuff I didn't need it you know, we probably needed it more than we think we did. The things that we don't want to praise him for, we needed more than all the blessings that we have. I praise him because even when I do hurt myself real bad, I said, I praise you for my, what I did because it could have been worse. Before, I wouldn't think that way. But I want to, I really want to get to the place where I just thank him because he has a plan for it. Yeah. Not, not, that, not that it could have gotten worse because... Anything can always get worse. But if we can get to the place where we're thanking him because, God, you've got a plan. That is where we're really getting into maturity. You know, because it could have been worse. That's easy because anything could always get worse. No matter what happens, it could have been worse for it. Just saying, God, you've got a reason for this. I don't, I don't have to understand it. You know, I don't have to understand it. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to understand things with God. You know, and he's, he just does what he knows is best for us, even when we don't think it's best. And oftentimes we'll sit there and, God, I really didn't need that to happen. And God's saying, I've got a reason for it. I've got a reason for it. You just wait. You might get to see what the reason is, but I have a reason for it. Much of what happened today, you know, as I'm looking around what was going on, I'm going, God, this, this, is, this is a really interesting day. You must have something really big in store for us for all this trouble to be happening. You know, people have come in and that our food bank is so full and going, that just means that we're going to have a run on people needing food pretty soon. You know, and it's going to be there. The supply is there. Mm-hmm. How does that change the way we think of God? You know, all these bad things are happening. Boy, you've got something big planned, planned in the near future. Yeah. And just going, okay, God, I'm, I, I get excited. When Satan comes against us and tries to shake things up, I kind of get excited. Yes, I get a little depressed sometimes as well in the moment. But when I stop and reflect, I'm going, okay, God, what have you got in store for us that Satan doesn't want to have happen? Looking forward to what's going to happen because something big is going to happen when we stay faithful. (laughs) Doesn't have to be bad stuff, though. Oftentimes it can be very good stuff. But... He is sitting there and saying, are you ready? Are you ready? There, one of the evangelists, I believe it was D.L. Moody, it might not have been him, but after each one of his crusades, he would go into a week of depression because not enough people got saved as far as he was concerned, and he was trying to figure out what he did wrong. Yeah. So he'd have 
hundreds of people get saved and he'd be depressed <laughs> because it wasn't 300 people, you know, or 500 people. And uh, we have to be very careful that we're happy with what God uses us for and not what we, re what we think we should have been used for or how we should have been used. God's got a plan for us. And he will use us the way he wants us to be used. And we need to be ready, ready, willing, and able to step forward and do what he asks us to do. And just be satisfied with it however he uses us. All of us want more than we're used most of the cases. You know, whether we admit it or not, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play the right card. We'll say, I'm humble. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with everything. But, you know, we really need to learn to be happy with what we have. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. God called me to this church, you know, little, little church, you know, 25 people in it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm so, I really am excited as I watch people growing in this church and see how God is changing lives. Would I be really happy to see a bigger church? I think I would, but <laughs> if that's not what God has in store for me, it's not what he has in store for me. Yeah. To, but, you know, the really good thing about a small church is you get to watch intensely and closely the people whose lives are being changed because on a big church you don't get that same impact where you can see the, all the lives being being impacted because it's too big you know you hear different stories here and there but you never really know all the impact and God is so good he gives us so much we're going to close in prayer Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you just go out before us. Give us opportunities to share you with others. Lord, we lift up the different activities that are coming up. We've got the movie nights coming up for, for Christian movies and fellowship. Lord, we've got the way of the master coming up. Lord, just ask you, put it on people's hearts to come and then use that information to share. And we just thank you for all the studies and everything we're doing in your son's name. Amen.